So this morning we're opening our, our Bibles to the book of Ephesians again. We're in chapter 5, and we're going to be looking starting at verse 22. Paul speaks to wives here as we look at the role of, 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 of each person in the family, divine roles given by God. And to the wives he says, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You know, there's many seasons in the church history uh, as we look back and see that the culture is, you know, waxing and waning, it's up, it's down. And there's times during church history when what's taught and preached in the Word of God sounds absolutely foreign to the native ear. Yet there's other times when uh, the seasons are such in a, in a country or in a nation where culturally it's, it's in sync with what the Bible teaches, temporarily. For example, last week I preached on God's design for marriage. We saw the part of God's plan, His design was that uh, marriage be monogamous. And so I don't think that is, is one area where it would cause much ruffling in, in our culture today because I think we're at a point in our culture where we all would agree that one man, one woman would get married. But of course, that's, that's subject to change, isn't it? However, I, I, I preach, if I preach the same sermon in, uh, in Iran, it might be different because there you can have up to four wives. So you can see where the culture would, would, would affect the way a sermon might be received. Since I preached my first sermon on the family more than 35 years ago, I have per personally witnessed ups and downs in, in the culture and just seen radical shifts in the culture that have caused some dramatic effects when the gospel has been preached. You know, there was a time back when, uh, when there was a, a lingering remnant of Christianity in our culture. In other words, what, by that I mean even the non-Christians seem to, to follow and embrace biblical principles, and, and that by way of common grace. For example, 30 years ago, a sermon on parenting advocating the proper application of corporal punishment in the family uh, would, would, would have been widely received not only by the church, but by the world at large. But today there's been such a cultural shift that not only will such a sermon be mocked by unbelievers today, but it might even be viewed as politically incorrect by many who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A more recent example would be the biblical teaching on wives working, mothers working outside the home. Several years ago, a sermon focused on the priority of the husband going out and, and being a man and working and supporting his family and the wife staying home and taking care of the children would have also been widely received. In fact, it might have been standard fare if you, if you would have preached that uh, to a church. You know, it might have even gotten a few amens back in the day. But today our culture has shifted so far that such sermons actually have brought protest in the church. I was just reading this last week where uh, several decades ago in, in Grace Community Church back in California, there, there were protesters out in front of the church because uh, John was, was simply preaching on uh, wives staying home and taking care of the children and not working. And so the, the feminists came in with signs and placards and began to protest. The national media began to follow it as well. Just five years ago, a sermon preached by, on God's design for marriage being heterosexual would have been widely received. Uh, it would have been uh, a kind of a no-brainer. But today, it rings in the ears of many as politically incorrect, as hate speech, and today's and we're going to see it because of that, we're in a free fall, even in the church today. Some of the millennials have bought into the idea that, that maybe it's okay for there to be homosexual marriages in the churches. 
Now, today's passage brings us to one of those areas of family life that has been, that experienced a, a huge cultural shift. It is God's design for marriage for the husband and wife to have God-given roles by God to the husband and God-given roles to the wife by, by God. And he did that so there'd be unity in the home and blessing. In God's simple pattern, we're going to see this worked out through the fifth chapter of Ephesians, is this, is that God is, has designed the husband to be the loving leader of the family. And God has designed the wife to submit to his headship in the home. You know, simply stated, marriage is not designed to be polycephaly. That is a, a two-headed institution. It's to be one-headed, have one head, which is the husband. We occasionally read about two-headed animals that have been come into this world. I know they're freaks of nature, we call them. Ripley's Believe It or Not speaks of them. Five years ago, a guy by the name of Todd Ray, uh, he bought a, a two-headed snake from Florida because Todd had the largest collection of two-headed animals that he put on display to charge people to come see them. And uh, that he decided that this snake was, was, was so unique with its two heads and where the heads came apart from the body, that he decided to buy it. And he bought this snake for $50,000. Now, what he had to do was, as soon as he bought the snake and brought it home was, when he put a rat in there for the snake to eat, the, they would both go for the rat, but when the rat was gone, they would start eating each other. And so every time he fed the snake, he had to take a playing card out, put it between the two heads so they couldn't see each other or devour each other, and, uh, and that's how he kept them alive. But, 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 but the picture's clear. But if you have two heads, whether it be in a home or whether it be in a, in a, in a business, uh, what happens? They'll turn on each other and, and because there isn't one leading. And so, as we saw last week, God's blueprint for marriage was God first made Adam, then he made Eve. He made her to be a complementary helper of himself. And uh, uh, we saw that marriage is permanent. It's a lifelong union. There's one flesh. And today we're going to see the role of the wife spoken of as one of submission in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, how, don't, you don't, don't raise your hand, please, but how many of you, you know, as you think in your head, does this have an archaic ring to it? Uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. I mean, even almost has some, to some people a harsh or a grinding sound to the ear. Because what happens right away, as soon as you hear that, objections start coming to your mind. Like, for example, me submit to someone else. Me be submissive to my husband. I mean, this is the 21st century. We're not running around in burkas today. This is the day of enlightenment. This, this, is, this is Wyoming. The what? The equality state. And since the fall, there's been an egalitarian movements afoot, rippling through almost every level of society. This humanistic movement has removes all the blurs and distinctions between gender, the animal world, the human world, uh, sexuality, uh, economics, and so everything itself being equal, including in, within the family. As we've been seeing, uh, societies do change, mores change, cultures change, and they reflect our fallen nature this side of eternity. But here's the key. Where did marriage come from? Remember last week? From God. How do we know about what God's plan for marriage and his design for marriage is? In the word of God. And then the next question is, does the word of God change? So we have a, a sure authority that we can go to where society is like this, but we have the word of God that we can go to as a sure, sure authority that does not change. As we saw last week, that God is the designer of marriage. He instituted back in the second chapter of the book of Genesis. 
And uh, God's plan is to work this all out in a way uh, through, through roles that he's given to you husbands and roles that he's given to you wives. And yes, we're going to look at roles that he's given to you children in the home as well. The, uh, it's, it was his design from the beginning that marriage be joyful, that it be harmonious, peaceful, God-glorifying, and it was for six verses. <laughs> it was for six verses. And then comes what? Chapter 3, verse 1 of Genesis. I mean, for six verses, Adam didn't beat his wife or argue with her. For six verses, Eve didn't nag at her husband. Adam totally loved his wife and totally led his wife for six verses. And Eve joyfully submitted to her husband for those six verses. And literally, it was marriage in paradise, right? It was, it was the Garden of Eden. And then they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind fell. And the human race fell, wives fell, husbands fell, and children fell. All of mankind. And then what happened, we saw last week, by way of summary, God did what? He pronounced a curse on the man. He pronounced a curse on the woman. He pronounced a curse on Satan. But remember, to the wife, or to the woman, he said, as a result of you taking charge in this fall, as a result of you taking on the mantle of leadership, and not first consulting with your husband before you ate, and then you gave it to him to eat, you're going to have a curse. And the curse is going to be from this point on, because of your fallen nature, there's going to be role reversal in the home. We saw that in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. And we saw the word desire there is an important one because what, what is this desire that a woman's going to have for her husband? It's not sexual. That's not what's intended here, but, but a compelling control over her husband. Eve, your desire from this point on, God is saying, will be to rule over and to control your husband, but he will master you. That's the other word that's there. And so you have, what you have there is feminism on the one hand, and then you have chauvinism on the other hand, and both are extremes and disobedient and sinful, and the two living under one roof come together, and what you have is conflict. You have that two-headed, that two-headed creature in the home. Couples differ on how they deal with this conflict. Some marriages, the husband just gives up and just says, you know what? peace at any cost. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to lead. I'm going to just surrender. I'm going to be Casper milk toast in my family and just be quiet. Others, the wife simply bows down to her domineering, controlling husband uh, out of a heart of fear. And it's sad having counseled so many wives, for example, who come out of controlling backgrounds. You know, one, one, one of the things you'll notice about a wife that's been controlled by her husband who who decided not to fight the battle every day of her life is her head's down. It's hard to even get eye contact because she's so defeated in her life. Some, over one half of all marriages, end up uh, in the divorce court. That's how they resolve it. It's, it's very simple. You know, we have irreconcilable differences. We'll get a divorce. But here's the good news. Where, where, where the curse abounds... Grace does much more abound. So God in all of his grace and mercy comes to us in this state of, of, of the husband and wife both being cursed. And what he does is he brings grace and he brings salvation and he changes our heart. And so in Christ, what he does is he reverses the effects of the curse. And that's the blessing that we have as Christians, husbands and wives. We don't have to live that way where where there's conflict all the time. All who embrace Christ through faith have their relationship with Christ restored. Salvation brings with it a new heart. A new heart brings new desires, new affections, new strengths, new capacities that you never had before. And then the effects of the curse are removed as far as it 
dominating you and not having any way out. And you're able to really fulfill the God-given roles that God has given you. We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 5. That's the good news. So with this background, we have the, the Apostle Paul bringing before us the glory of the Spirit-filled family. And it begins with a mandate, speaking first to the woman, to the wife. He says, the mandate for the wife is what? Submit to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Now, what's interesting, if you look at your Bible, some of them italicize the word be subject to or, or submit. Although I pulled two Bibles out this morning and I couldn't find any, any italization, italization there, but you might, you might have it in your Bible. And the reason for that is this. The word submit, now this is that doesn't let us off the hook, by the way. The word submit does not appear in verse 22. Uh, in fact, uh, in the original, you have uh, wives submitting unto your husbands as unto the Lord, if you took it literally. Wives unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, without the word submit. You say, well, Don, where does the word submit come from then? From the verse right before it, verse 21. Where verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, there was in Christ now... And that now our heart becomes a heart of submission. And we have all different kinds of relationships in our life that God has set up. And in those relationships requires submission. And to the wives, he goes right off that, you see, in verse 22. Wives, in this manner of submission, parentheses, verse 21, to your own husbands. So it's strongly implied. And the reason why Paul's not going to let, let us off the hook is because in the parallel passage over in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 18, he does put the word submit in that passage there. Submit. You know, around our house, we jokingly call it the S word. Uh, it, it's a word it's for hard for some couples and, and some gals even to say, let alone process. Hupotasso, to come underneath the authority of someone else. It's really a military term. As you, as you, you know, you're an enlisted man. You, you, you come under the authority of those who are, in, who are commanding over you, and they're the ones who have the authority, and you're submissive. And he says, submit unto your own husbands. Wives, follow your husband's leadership. Yield yourself to his authority in your home. You know, I, I like this definition. What is submission in the, in the home? It's divine calling of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through her gifts and through her strengths. And so when you see each part of that definition, the wife has, has been given the, the role of honoring and affirming her husband's leadership by what? By submitting to that leadership. But it doesn't stop there. The definition goes on, and to help him carry out his role as leader of the family, either through her gifts or her strengths that God has given, her, given us. Because what we're going to see here is, you know, there's a big debate in Christian circles between egalitarian and complementary relationships in the family. Egalitarian view of, 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 of the family would be the wives and the husbands are both equal in authority, in every aspect of, of, of married life. And of course, when you have that, you're going to have what? Conflict. Also disobedience, because the biblical pattern is one of being complementary. The wife is there to complement, complement her, head, her, her husband's headship. It's really a hard attitude, isn't it? It's not, it's not an outward duty as much as it's a hard attitude. It's saying to your husband, I... I delight to take the initiative, that you take the initiative for our family. I'm glad when you take up the responsibility of, of leading us in all the hard areas of, of family life. I find comfort when you, when, when you make the hard decisions that, that I don't have to make. I don't flourish in the, in the relationship when, when you're passive and I'm, I'm the one who has to come in and take over the role of leader in the family. 
Now, right away, some, some Christian women would, would quickly object to this and, and maybe stumble at the idea of submission, thinking that it somehow equates submission with inferiority. Because of the, is it, isn't that how you begin to see it? If I have to submit to my husband, then I must be inferior to my husband. I must be a second-class person in the home. I must be a doormat that he can walk all over. And what I want us to see from the Word of God is submission is not a matter of inferiority, but a matter of function more than, in, than in being inferior in relationship. The marriage union is one of equality, of man and woman before God. A man and a woman stand on equal footing before God. Actually, before one another, but there's a different role and a different function. Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor what? Nor female before God. In the body of Christ, there is equality and standing, but as far as function goes, there is submission. Uh, and we see that in verse 21, where there's mutual submission, submitting to one another. And by the way, this idea of submission is not something that's just reserved for wives and the family. Look carefully at verse 21, uh, right before 22, because what it says is one of the marks of being in Christ, every one of us in this room as Christians, we are to submit to one another. It's not like the husbands are off the hook and don't have to submit. It, 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 it's not like even the children are off the hook and, 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 and don't have to or have to submit. We all have been placed where God wants us to be. We all have unique roles. And in those roles, we are to have a heart of submission. Those of you are going to see as we go later on in, in the book of Ephesians. You have a job. And tomorrow you've got a boss. And so the boss, is he better than you are? No. But what does the boss do? He's been given the function, the role of being the leader, the head. And you are to come underneath him to be, unless you're in an equal partnership, be submissive to your boss. Uh, the elders of the church. The Bible says a congregation, the body of Christ, is to be in sub subjection to the elders of the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your elders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's submission all over the place in our Christian life. There's even submission, is, is probably our supreme illustration in the, in, in the Trinity itself. We believe in one God, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. <laughs> Thanks. One. One God. And what... Would, would, would anyone argue that there's, there's not equality in the, God, in the Godhead? I mean, God the Father is better than God the Son? Or the Holy Spirit, he's third, he's you know, way down the line. He's that, that's the Holy Spirit. No, they're all God. They're all one. There's equality amongst the Godhead in each person of the Trinity. The God the Father is no greater than God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not second class to God the Son. And yet, what do we have right in within the Trinity itself? Submission. Isn't that amazing? I find that so encouraging. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God the Father. And so God is the Father, is the head of, of, of God the Son, and they're equal. And not only are they equal, they're one, but we also see that there's submission. It was the God of the Father who elected a people he was going to save. It was God the Father who came up with this wonderful plan of redemption. It was God the Father that, and I don't know what the conversation was within the Godhead before eternity, way back in eternity past, but as they, the counsel of the wisdom of the Godhead, the Father said, here's the plan, Son. The Son, you're going to be the one who's going to go down to this earth in the form of a man who's going to lay down your life and you're going to die on a cross. And the Son with a heart of submission says, I'm, I'm going. This is good. 
I'm going to submit to my heavenly Father. Philippians 2.7, rather be made himself nothing but taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness. He didn't give up any of his deity when he came to the earth. There was still one. And the whole time he walked on this earth, he did so with a heart of submission to his heavenly Father. So it is in the Christian family. There's, there is God's design, a complementary design, a relationship between a husband and wife. She's called to help him, to be a helper. She's called to support him. She's called not to replace him, but to come alongside of him. And for the purpose of function, the wife is to be submissive to her husband's lead in the family. Now there's also an important little detail here. If you look at your Bible carefully, Paul directs wives to be submissive unto their own husband. You notice that? Unto their own husband. And I, I think what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, I'm going to draw some lines here. Wives, you're to be submissive to your own husband, but not to every other man or every other man in relationship to you. You're not to be, ha, ha, have submission to a boss over your husband if you're working or, or in some profession. Let me give you an example. You know, this goes back a couple decades ago, but there was a, a young lady in our church in California who was really smart, and she, her, her degree was in uh, English, and she wanted to get her doctorate degree in, uh, in English literature. And there was one man there was like a head of the university there in Berkeley, there was one man that she wanted to study under and get her doctorate degree from. Now, her husband was working at an oil refinery in the East Bay area, making real good money. He was a union guy, been there many, many years, and he was pretty well set. And so one day she comes to her husband and she says, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, taking classes from this, this professor guy in, in Berkeley, and he's going to Phoenix. And so what I'm going to have to do is pack up and go to Phoenix so, so that he can, I can finish my degree with him. And he wants me to leave as soon as possible. Now, here, here's the dilemma. Who does she obey? Who does she obey? Who, who is she submissive to? Is it her husband who said, listen... I appreciate that. That shows that he really must have great favor in you and you are very strong intellectually. But you know what? I have a job here in the East Bay area. I'm making X number of dollars an hour and we're doing quite well and I believe this is where God wants us to stay. And you know what her response was? Well, if that's the case, you're going to have to stay here without me because this is my heart's desire. I've wanted this all of my life and I have the opportunity and I'm going to take it. And so we had a little counseling about that for a while and the counseling ended up where she got on an airplane and she went to Phoenix and about every fourth week she'd fly home and see her husband and this went on for about six months. And then finally, you know what the husband did? He, was getting, he said, you know, for the sake of my marriage, he quit his job and he went to Phoenix. And in so doing, he was there and he couldn't get a job because he was a union guy there and they couldn't get in the union in Phoenix. I think it was maybe a right to, light or a right to work state. But anyway, as it worked out, things were getting bad financially and they finally, she said, you know what, maybe I should go back to California. And she did. And they went back, he got his job back, he lived happily ever after. But here's the thing. Do you see where this comes in when there's other men might come into your life, other positions of authority that come into your life? And then, and then you're tempted to, well, what do I do? I have a boss who says, I want you to work on Sundays. I have a husband who says, no, that's the Lord's Day. We go to church. I have a boss that says, I want you to leave your family for three days and go on a business trip, and you must do that next week. Yeah, but I have a children, and my husband wants me to stay. So when you have conflicting headship, what do you do when, when that conflict arises? And, and, and Paul clearly says, you're to submit unto your own husband. 
Now you try and work through these things, obviously, but when there's a, when when it comes to a head-to-head -head disagreement, there there's a submission to your own husband. There's a second objection that's common. That is, God, you don't know my husband. He's not worthy to be submitted to. Who's laughing? Okay. I thought there was some. How can I submit to a husband who is thoughtless, demanding? How can I submit to a husband who's lazy and unwilling to take leadership or even work? In my family, if I don't take the leadership, we're going downhill. And so somebody's got to do it, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be the leader. So this leads us to the second important heading under submission. That is the motive. And there Paul adds this. Submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. There's something at stake here much greater than your, even your direct relationship to your husband. It's your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something more lofty and inspiring here than, than thinking that, that, that you have a, a husband who is not worthy to be submitted to. Because when you look through that husband, you see someone on the other side and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's your Savior, and he's your Lord, and he's the one you want to please with your, with your life as a, as a Christian woman. You want to be submissive to him, and so you're submissive to your husband, even when your husband doesn't deserve it. When I've shared privately with some of you, about this, this issue came up in my own family with, with me and my father, where I, I, I had to preach on honor your father and mother. And I had a dad that I hadn't talked to probably most of my life. And I had to stand up in front of the congregation and say, and by the way, your honoring of your father is unconditional. And I had dishonored my father for decade after decade after decade, not even talking to him. And then I realized this isn't a matter of him being worthy to be, to be honored. This is the word of God. I, I'm a child of God. And so what I need to do is be obedient to Christ and, and honor my father even when he doesn't deserve to be honored in my eye. And the same thing's true in the, in the Christian home. I long to be submissive to my husband because I know it most glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Those times when your husband seems unworthy, you look through him and you see Christ. You don't do it for your husband's sake although that, that would be part of it, but ultimately for Christ's sake. It's Christ's will. You want to please Christ. And so this is really one of the greatest motives of all for, for a wife to live a godly life in the home, to have a biblically organized family where, where her heart is to submit to her husband. By the way, this, this is one of the great displays that goes out to the world when the world looks at you and your marriage and says, wow, I wonder why... I wonder why things are like that in their family. And they realize, well, Christ is there. And Christ gets the glory and he gets all the honor for the sake of the gospel. Let me give you a couple other additional motives for living a life of submission in the home. And that is uh, the order of nature itself. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. That was set up in, in Genesis chapter 2. We saw that last week. Because... Marriage is first a creation ordinance of God. Why submit? Because this was God's plan from the beginning, that the husband would be the head of the wife. The wife was taken out of the side of the man, and she was given to him to come alongside and be a completer, a helper for him. The man was first created, then Eve. And for the only way there to be harmony in, in that family and joy is for there to be submission on the heart of the wife. She compliments him. The man is responsible for support, for protection, for care, and she's to come alongside and help him. An, an additional motive is this. It, it, it really displays the beauty of Christ's church. Now think about that. What is it about your marriage that the world can look at right now, your neighbors over the fence can look at about your marriage that would say, it shouts. It shouts out the truth about Christ and his church. 
It shouts out the gospel of Jesus Christ. People can look at it. They don't understand what all of it means and, and all the symbolism that, that God intended, but they can see that it shouts loudly about something beyond themselves, particularly Christ and his church. See, really, I believe marriage was designed by God to be like a, a living metaphor or an image that stands out to the world around us uh, of, 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 of a man and a woman becoming one flesh. It's designed to be a picture of Christ. The bride is, is the body. Christ is the groom. It's meant to be a living drama of how Christ died for his church and loved his church with an everlasting love. And as the church submits to Jesus, her head, so the wife is to submit to her own husband in everything. Now notice in your Bible, Paul adds these words, his body and to himself its Savior. You see that? It's worded a little different in different translations. Uh, Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and, here's where it starts, and in, in himself its Savior. Now, I just want to stop for a minute there and ask ourselves, what, what do you think that means? Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Particularly, what's the meaning of the pronouns there? What do the pronouns refer to? What are the antecedents of the pronouns? If you have the, uh, the ESV, it's himself. Some of the other translations, he, so... What's the antecedent? Who, 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 are the, who is the he? Who is the himself? And how does this phrase tie into your family? You might be surprised to discover that the uh, commentators are divided on this, this, this very question. There are those, for example, like Charles Hodge, a great commentator, who argues that a he, or the himself, refers to Christ. Okay, I'm tracking with Charles so far. Uh, That is, Christ is the head of the church, and he, Christ, is the Savior of the body, the church of Jesus Christ. And so Hodge argues that Paul did not intend for for this uh, to carry over into marriage, that really what happened here was this. He's getting carried away. You know how sometimes Paul gets carried away? He gets excited in his writings and he's praising God and he kind of goes off and he does that for a while. He argues this is one of those cases. And so you have a situation where it says that that, that he uh, is is the savior of the body and he's just so excited. And it doesn't necessarily relate to the family. That's what Hodge would say. But the problem with that is, and we see that the reason why even Paul is saying this is because he wants to relate it to the family. It seems to directly be related to the family. So you have uh, his view. And that, I think that's the main objection there. Paul's main purpose is to liken the church to the family. It's hard to understand why Paul would add a clause that did not relate it to the family. He just went off and talked about Christ being the Savior of the body. The second view is this. That he or himself, in that clause refers to the husband, not to Christ. And so, he, himself, the husband, is the savior, small s, of the body of the wife. And the problem with this is, is this grammatical, and this, I don't want to get too much into it, but you know, one, one, one of the rules of Greek grammar is that the, uh, that the antecedent to a pronoun is usually the closest noun nearby. That's how they, they, they structure it. And so the nearest antecedent to he or himself is not man, but it's Christ. It's not the husband, it's Christ. And so it would violate that, that kind of basic rule of, of grammar. So then what is the better understanding? Well, their third view is by John Calvin. And I believe he brings a correct balance to this last clause here. He says this, he says, the pronoun he or himself is supposed by some to refer to Christ and by others it should refer to the husband. It applies more naturally, in my opinion, Calvin says, to Christ, but still with a view 
to the present subject, which is marriage. In this point, as well as to the others, uh, the resemblance ought to hold. And so what, what, what Calvin is saying here is this. In other words, as Christ is the Savior of the body, so is the husband to be the Savior of the body of his wife. See if you can follow that with me. What does that mean? In what way is the husband the Savior of his wife? We know it's not salvation. You know, the husband doesn't bring salvation to the wife. Christ as Savior does not always carry with it the meaning of salvation. The word so-so or, or, or the word for, for saved doesn't always mean save like save a soul to eternal life. It can mean save someone who's drowning inside of a pool. It can rescue someone, save somebody, protect them. And that's what Calvin's arguing here. Perhaps that's a better understanding of the word saved here, and that helps bring this together. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Now, does, God, does Jesus Christ save all people? And the answer is no. He has especially of those who believe. In what way is Christ the Savior of all people? Well, what, what Calvin would argue here is he says, he, because he, by his common grace, he, he, he brings health, he brings strength, he brings rain, he brings sunshine, he brings much that would save everyone in a very physical way. He's our preserver and our protector, as our, as our groom and also as, as the second person of the Trinity. Christ is good to all mankind. He protects and cares for. He saves all of mankind that way. And by the way, that's going to help us explain. When you go, we're going to look at verses 28 and 29 in, in a couple weeks. But notice what it says, and maybe you've always wondered, but in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And so we see there the, 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 the nurturing part, the, the saving part of Christ, and, and how we love our own bodies that way, and so should a husband love his wife in a similar way. So in other words, Paul is still talking about husbands and wives, and husband is the head of the wife, and he's the protector of, of, of the wife, and therefore, because he protects, he guards, he shields, he saves, so to speak, she should submit herself to him. She has a husband that cares about her. She has a husband who's protecting her. She has a husband who's saving her in that sense. Therefore, how can I help but, but not have a desire in my heart to submit to him as my head? There's another objection you might be thinking of. You know, Don, you're, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a more pressing objection in my heart, and that's this. That was then, and this is now. That's my objection. That was Paul, and this is today. That was 2,000 years ago, and this is the 21st century. That was back then when women were debased and treated terribly. And now we have a more enlightened time that we live in, and, and so we can't necessarily carry this over to today, the 21st century. But even though women were much more debased back in, in the day of, of Paul, that wasn't true in the church. Now, see, the church stood alone. The church was there, and, and, and women in the church were, were, were really elevated to a point of equality before God. It was a lofty position. Look how the husbands would treat the wife. We're going to honor the wife, cherish the wife, like a precious vessel. We're going to see that. In Christ, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ. There's equality in Christ. So we're, this has nothing to do with equality. This has everything to do with the role that God has given within that equality. And by the way, to deny Scripture is to deny sola scriptura of is really to deny the authority of God's word in our life. And that's a very, very serious thing. 
Here's another objection. My husband does not lead like Christ leads the church. It'd be easy if he did. I'd be happy to submit to my husband if he led me like Christ leads his church. So do I still have to submit to a husband like that? How far do I take this matter of submission? Well, notice in verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in what? Everything. To their husbands. Everything. Surely we must not press this to mean everything. Take it out beyond the teaching of God's word. Does that mean I can't say anything? That means I have to stay quiet over in the corner? That means that, that I'm just there to do whatever you know, my husband wants me to do and I'm, I'm just detached from him and what, what he wants to do? Can I give my opinion? Do, can I have an idea? Can I have an original thought? Can I share in the decision-making of the family? I mean, what if I'm smarter than my husband is? What, what, what if I'm more theological than my husband is? What if I know God's word more than my husband does? What if I have the gift of teaching and he doesn't? Paul says, well, everything. In everything. I remember in another counseling... By the way, one of the advantages of having an older pastor is you can go way back to counseling when nobody knows who's who we're talking about. We're not trying to think about, I wonder who that is. Now this goes, these all go way back. But there was, but there was another couple that I was counseling with where, where the, the wife objected that her, her husband was not a spiritual leader and, and therefore she did not have a duty to be submissive to her husband. She was going to take control of her family spiritually. She was going to disciple the children. She was going to lead family devotions. Uh, she was going to basically take charge of all of it and do so outside of her husband. No submission at all. And uh, in fact, she would belittle her husband because he wasn't a spiritual leader. And she would do so in front of the children and berate him because she was so much more superior in her understanding and her knowledge. See, what submission means is this. I believe as a gifted lady, a wife who has, has maybe abilities far superior to her husband, that happens. That happens. In, in cases like that, you're still to submit to your husband. But to do so in a way that complements him and complements his leadership or even the lack thereof complements it in the home. For example, encouraging him to lead you, if you can, even if you can do it better. For example, you can go up to your husband and say something like this. So this is in this counseling situation I just mentioned. You can come alongside your husband and say, uh, you know, is there any, any way that I can help you lead our family in worship? You're my husband. I love you. Is there any way that I can come alongside of you and, and be a help with the children and in family worship, and family devotions? Is there any way that I can lift you up as the husband and the father of the children of this family and honor you? And is there anything that I, I can do to help towards that end? And so you can approach it that way. Quickly, two things that submission is not. Submission does not encourage or encompass matters of moral conscience. And so there are times when you'll have a husband who will, who, from his machismo or for his chauvinistic background, might require or put a demand on the wife to do something that's immoral or against spiritual principles of holiness. Matters that would cause his wife to sin. We saw, for example, in Acts 5.29, uh, we have to obey God rather than what? Than man. So... Submission does not take us to, to that threshold of sin or disobedience or matters that would violate our spiritual conscience. Christ is our head there. Christ alone is our head there, and we must obey him. 
And so you must not submit to a husband who tells her uh, to watch something that's impure or to be involved in something that's pornographic. Or a husband that requires her to lie when in fact God tells her she must tell the truth. The first church I pastored while attending seminary, uh, we had a Hispanic congregation that met with us in the same building and they were between leaders in, in their church and so uh, our elders at the Anglo church would, would sit with the, the prospective new members of the Spanish church and hear their testimonies and, uh, and consider them into the membership of their church. And I remember one, one Sunday after church this dear Hispanic lady who spoke no English we had an interpreter I spoke no Spanish and uh, she shared her testimony and then I looked at her and she had bruises on her arm and you could see that she had she had wounds on her arm scars on her body they were so pronounced I had to stop and I said I just asked her the interpreter what happened are you okay and she started crying and what happened was this she shared how she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and she was reading God's word about how important it was to gather with God's people and worship. And her husband says, you can't go to church. Her husband says, you stay away from church. Uh, and so she was faced with a dilemma. What do I do? Now, she didn't understand all the principles of, of submission and that as a brand new Christian. And she said to her husband, I'm, I'm going to church. And so he said, no, you're not. And he locked the door. She couldn't get out. So she started crawling out the window. And he heard her crawling out the window and he grabbed her and pulled her down and beat her for her desire to attend church. You know, when you're faced with issues like that, I mean, the, the Bible talks about not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together, right? The Bible talks about the importance of worship, breaking bread together as brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship of the church. But I believe, and she might have learned this later in her Christian life, her heart was good. She wanted to please Christ. But I believe you can tell a husband like that your desire to worship God and still support his leadership and headship in the home. Even though you'd say he doesn't deserve it. You can say, I, I, I can't tell you how much it grieves me. She could say something like this. I can't tell you how much it grieves me when you command me not to attend church. I love the Lord so much in my life. I want you to know the same Lord that I know, but until then, I, 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 I just down the block here, I want to go worship with God's people. Because see, I, I want to please God more than I want to please you in this area. Therefore, I'm going to have to say no. Because I receive my greatest joy when I follow Christ. But you're my head, and I want you to be, to be elevated in this, in this family. And I want to do things in a way that, I can, that would best be submissive to you. Would a, a different time of service, would, would you know, uh, going to the, the evening service instead of the morning service, would, would, would that be fitting within? In other words, working to try and find an accommodation and, and to complement the husband's leadership, but doing so in a way that would not cause disobedience in the heart of the wife. Secondly, submission does not mean that you cannot share your ideas and opinions. Wives, you do not surrender your thoughts, your opinions, your gifting, your ideas, the, the, what a valuable person you are. You, 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 you don't surrender any of that under the banner of submission. You're a completer, you're a complementer. The wise husband would ask his wife for her opinions rather than uh, and, and try and gather her input and her wisdom in making decisions rather than coming down and just pounding his fist down. I can say that over the past 50 years of marriage with Mary, and she might disagree with this, but this is my perspective. You know, we've made some hard decisions in life together. And I've always tried to go to Mary and say, Mary, what do you think about this? What's your input? You know, she has wisdom in areas that I, I will never have wisdom in. And I believe many, many times she has uh, shared that wisdom in a way that kept 
kept our family from being blindsided or T-boned or something uh, for the good of our family. And of course, a wise husband would say, you know what, even though I'm, I'm the spiritual head of the family, that, that's good, I like that. I think that's even better, let's do it that way. And so when it came down to 50 years of marriage, thinking of the number of times where I said, okay, I'm going to pull rank. I'm the husband of this family. I'm the leader of this family. And this is how we're going to do it. How many times has that been? Huh? I couldn't think of any. I thought for sure you might have thought one or two. But let me just say this. It wouldn't have been on any more than one hand in 50 years of marriage. And, and doing so in a way that would be, she was submissive to me all the way, 100%. And yet, coming alongside, complimenting, giving her ideas, suggestions, thoughts, her gifts coming into play, all these things being important in helping us and, and complementing our, our, our relationship to please the Lord. So what is a wife to do if it appears that her husband is about to make a big decision? It appears foolish and unwise and put the family in jeopardy. What does the wife do? He wants to enter into an unwise business venture and, and fetter away all the money that they've saved all, all, all the years of their, of their marriage. Does she just sit there, remain silent, let him just go do it and fetter it all away? Well, put her foot down, object, and say, no. I believe that you can express your your heart of submission and also express through a heart of submission your viewpoint. And, and, and come strong with a viewpoint. If you have a strong viewpoint, share it strongly. For example, if I was going through a midlife crisis, so after you get through midlife, I don't know what crisis you go through after that, but end of life crisis, let's put it that way. So Mary finds out that we've had this, this uh, retirement account we've been putting money into, and so we have some retirement for our, for our older age. And I, I got the wild idea one day. I said, you know, what if I just take some money out of the bank? I'm going to get a ticket and go to London. You know that, that, that British racing green sports car that I've wanted all of my life? I found one. I get it for about $75,000. I'm going to spend it and buy it. I'm going to drive around Europe a little bit, have it shipped back over here. And you can imagine what, what Mary's going through when I'm tell, telling her this story. And she says, <laughs> she's thinking of my retirement, our retirement, you know. Uh, how would you respond, ladies, to a husband that went, out, went off like that? Would you stick your finger in his face and say, no, you're not. That's our money. You're not going to do that. That's not submission. Do you check in and say, oh, I guess I won't say anything. I'm just submissive. You could say something like this. Don, <clears throat> I think we need to talk. I want you to know, Don, that I, I love you a lot. And, uh, and I love it when you take charge. And I love it when, when you make those hard decisions in our family life. And I'm thankful for that. But can I share something with you? Sure. I really don't have peace about this idea of you taking seventy-five, $100,000 out of our, our, our retirement fund and go blowing it on a sports car in London. Have you really thought about this? Can we sit down together and discuss this and see what God would have us do in the midst of this? Before you make your final decision, and it's been those kind of conversations that Mary and I have had over the years that have allowed me to kind of back off and say, well, maybe that green sports car really is not really the best thing right now. But I need to hear it from my wife. Not in, no, you're not going to do that, but in a submissive way that says, no, let's sit down and talk about it. And let, let, let's work through this. And, and she brings her financial wisdom into play. And, and all of a sudden I realize how foolish I was. And, and we, we, we say, no, we're not going to do that. So, let's bring this to a conclusion. What is God's role for the wife in marriage? The mandate is one of a life of submission in the home with her husband who's a leader. 
and the motives are one of, uh, of, of, of submission is to honor and glorify God. Now, did you ever wonder why that only these verses that we looked at today speak to the wife and why this many verses that we're going to look at in, in the couple weeks ahead speak to the husband? I mean, for one thing, I've always thought, well, the wives really don't need as much correction as, as the husbands do. So God really had to hammer them with all this. The rest of chapter 5 we're going to be looking at. But God did make it very easy for the wife in the sense of, of uh, being submissive to her husband. That's the only thing it says to the wife there. The only thing mentioned in the area of her role. Now we can go to other parts of scripture and find parts of her role. But in here, that's the only thing that Paul mentions. You see, the, the fruit of submission brings joy. The fruit of submission brings peace. The fruit of submission brings unity in the home and brings glory to God. Find a home where the wife is submissive, the husband lovingly leads the, the, the family. That's a home that the whole church can peek in on. And when the church is selecting leadership in the days ahead, one of the qualifications for leadership is what? That a man who rules his own family well will be a man who rules the church well as well. That's a microcosm of leadership. And there you'll find some, some of these qualities that we're looking at in, in Ephesians chapter 5 as they're fleshed out and they're beautiful and, and give out much fruit. Help us discern God's path for us for future leadership. I call it fruit because it can only display itself if God has done a work of salvation in our hearts. Only ladies who have been transformed by the grace of God can in any way be submissive to their husbands as Christ would require. She knows her beauty is within. She knows her beauty is in the heart. 1 Peter 3.3 3. It's the inward beauty of holiness. By faith she turns her back on this fallen world and all the, the, the empty wisdom of it. She shuts her ears to the magazines and all the, all, all the worldly wisdom around her. And she says, I'm going to obey Christ. I'm going to be submissive to my husband for his glory's sake. She chooses to glorify God. By the way, this role of, uh, in, in the family of being submissive is part of the discipling ministry of the women of Redeeming Grace Church. Did you know that? It isn't, you know, occasionally I'll get up, you know, once in a while preach on this. Probably won't hear it for the next 10 years again. But the ongoing teaching of these principles comes from woman to woman in Redeeming Grace Church. So, well, where do you see that in Scripture, Don? I see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach that which is good. Then they can urge, watch this, the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. Listen, this is the discipling ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the ministry of the older women teaching the younger women how, how to love your husband and how to be submissive to him. And that's where, you know, it's one thing for me to stand up and preach on it, but it's another thing relationally, woman to woman, where these principles are taught and, and given by way of example to one another. If you're here today and you're finding your marriage in a conflict, you realize perhaps you've contributed to the tension in the home, and it could be because of, of, of not having a quiet, submissive, and gentle spirit, I ask you, First of all, look in your heart. Have you trusted Christ? Are you a new person in Christ? Has he put that new heart in you? Have you seen your own sins come through the blood-stained cross of Christ? And have you confessed that lack of submission as a sin before God? And have you brought it before your husband and asked for his forgiveness for your lack of submission to him? Could be that some of you have an unbelieving husband find it hard to submit to an unbelieving husband. You find the marriage life, family life to be harsh 
You find it to be a life where there's a lack of sensitivity. There's too much control. There's conflict. I believe one of the greatest trials a woman can go through in her married life is to live a life with an unbelieving husband who is one who is controlling and sensitive and lacking the love of Christ. And then God comes to her and says, be submissive in everything. That's a hard, that's a hard road to walk down. I, my heart aches when, when I see this. But all I can do is point you to Scripture and, and encourage you. I encourage you through 1 Peter 3, 1, that says, Likewise, wives, be subject in subjection to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without, without a word by the conduct of their wives. You see what that's saying? Now here you are in a situation, you might have an unbelieving husband, it might be an intolerable situation, and so in faith, because you're looking through the husband, you're looking to Christ, you're looking to please him, and in the process as you do that, you realize that what, what, what the promise that comes from Peter is that, that God willing and by his grace might, might be able to see by your deeds, by your submission, Christ. You might come to Christ and be saved. This tells us that marriage isn't all about us. It's all about Christ. And this is the means that God uses to reach the hearts of others and to glorify himself. So I close this morning simply by repeating the words of Paul. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, that God might be glorified. And Father, we close by thanking you again for even the hard teachings of Scripture, Father, I, I know this, if we weren't a church that embraced the expository, verse-by-verse verse preaching through the Bible, this might be a verse we would never touch. But Lord, it's your word. All Scripture is given to us. It's profitable for us, Father. And so I pray, Lord, that, uh, that the word of God in this area would, would, would impact the hearts of all of us. Lord, it would, it would touch the hearts of husbands to learn right now how to begin leading in a loving way with their wife, in an informed way, but also, Lord, to wives, as you call the wives of, of Redeeming Grace Church, to submit to the leadership and the headship of their husbands and do so for the glory of God. Help us towards that end, in Jesus' name. Amen.